All right, as we head into Revelation chapter 5, I want you guys to remember we are between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. That's chapter 6 when the seals begin to be opened. In this scene, we have the Lamb takes the scroll from his father on the throne and they sing a song that he's the one who's worthy to loose the seals. That hasn't happened yet. That happens in in chapter 6, verse 1, when the Antichrist comes forward, the seals begin to be opened. So right now is that time period. You know, if you look at prophetically the world we're living in, it looks like all of the chess players are on the board. How long can it be before the trumpet blows and we're lifted out of here? It can't be long. And then once we get to heaven, you're going to be in this scene, you and I. And we're going to see this. There's a song here you're going to get to sing. So learn the words. It's very important. And it's easy. It's only two verses, the most important one here for you to sing. In fact, in verse 9, it calls it a new song. And that word new there is not chronologically, it's not related to time. It's new in the sense of its quality. There is a song that has never been sung before from the foundation of the world that will be sung when the Lamb takes the scroll, the title deed of earth from his Father's hand. And we will be there and we will sing this song together. So it's very cool that you can kind of become familiar with this because very soon you're going to be singing it. Okay? And there's some great things about that. So Let's three, we'll read through from verse 7 to the end of the chapter. We left off with verse 7, and he came, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living ones, not beasts, and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So you've got to learn how to fall down with a harp and play it anyway, I guess. And they sung a new song, there it is, saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals thereof for the reason thou wast slain and hast redeemed, very important, us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the living ones, and the elders. Notice they're all separate angels, cherubim, elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying, no doubt, with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then, joined by creation, every creature which is in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, and such as are in the sea, all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living ones said, Amen. 
And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and forever. So we have this remarkable scene. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, takes the scroll out of his father's hand. And it says when he does that, there's a in, the, in verse 8 where it says, And he came, uh, and when he had taken the scroll, it's called a dramatic perfect tense. What it means is he took the scroll and he still has it right now. Continues. He took the scroll and it is in his hand now. He hasn't opened any of the seals yet. But our Savior right now is holding that scroll. He's taken the scroll. When he did that, it says, then the living ones, the living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. King James says, having every one of them, the the Greek is each one of them, had harps and golden bowls filled with literally incense, not odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So interesting picture. He comes and he takes the scroll and he's still holding it today. When he does that, the cherubim, the living ones, fall down. And it says, and the 20 elders fall down. And it says, each one of them having a harp and having these golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So this picture of worship begins to develop. Uh, One of the things we want to take note of is that the cherubim fall down, but the cherubim can't sing about redemption because they're not beneficiaries of that process. It says the 24 elders fall down. Then it says each one of them having a harp. Now, each one of them is masculine in gender, and the rule is it has to relate back to the noun it modifies. Cherubim, the living ones, is neuter, but the 24 elders are masculine. Each one of them having a harp is masculine, So evidently it's talking about the 24 elders falling down to worship, each one of them having harps. Um, Words only used, I think, four times in the book of Revelation. It's used over 40 times in the Old Testament. But it's a a little bit of a different word. In the Old Testament, it's speaking of the, the lyre, which is a little bit of smaller of a harp, played in the temple precincts. In fact, sometimes the Sea of Galilee is called Kinneroth, is from the Hebrew word that means harp, because the Sea of Galilee is shaped like a harp. These, this is probably more properly harps, more like guitars. Now that's important to me because I play the guitar and I love guitars and I think real worship happens with guitars. And you'll notice here there's no drums, there's no keyboards, no trumpets, no, you know, Al Hurt's not there. So you, you, you look at this. And, uh, and I, know, I know keyboards are percussion and they're strings, but you have to get your hands on them for them to be worth anything, you know. So here these stringed instruments are being played. Well, I'm not, Pastor Joe, I'm not musical. I can tell that when we worship. You don't have to tell me that. But you will be. We will know fully, even as we've been fully known, everybody's going to be a harp player. You know, I, I often think if, if I could live through the millennium, if I was one of those people who was going to live eight, nine hundred years, I'd learn to play the harp. I'd learn to speak some other languages. I just don't have enough time. But I love listening to harp players. 
and, and I found the avant-garde ones that I really like to listen to. Um, but we're all going to know how to play the harp there. No, no lessons. We're all going to have that. We're all going to be musical. You know, some of us, we're not in pitch now. Some of us don't sing well. But we can all make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? We can all do that. And he hears that beautifully in heaven. So they all have harps. And they all have these golden bowls of incense, this smoke rising, it says, which are the prayers, plural, of the saints. So all of the saints for thousands of years that have prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Every one of them is beginning to be answered when the lamb takes the title deed to earth from his father's hand. All of the prayers of the saints, Lord, if you love me, why am I being thrown to a lion? Why am I being martyred if you're on the throne? All of those. And the prayers here, the word is not praise. It's, it's the word that means petition. All of their requests, all of the petitioning for thousands of years is rising before the Lord. And listen, none of those prayers are lost. I mean, Psalm 56 even says that, that when we weep, and we pray that all of our tears are recorded. There's not a tear any of us has shed in private that God hasn't taken note of and recorded. So all of the prayers of all of the saints through the entire church age, even in chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, How long, O Lord, before you avenge us of those that are on the earth? You know, all of the prayers now are rising out of this scene, and not a single one of them is lost. Nothing that you've prayed Nothing you've asked the Lord for, nothing you've petitioned him for. My child with leukemia, my mom that's not saved, my spouse, none of your prayers are lost. They all rise here because now Jesus is taking control of everything. The day of the Lord has begun. And it says, and they sang a new song, never sung before. You need to learn the words because you're going to be part of this. They sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou. Now, now you take notice of that because in chapter 4, verse 11, they sing, Worthy art thou, because you've created everything. So in chapter 4, they're saying that, the, that Jehovah, the Father, is worthy in his creative acts. Here in chapter 5, they're saying God the Son is worthy in his redemptive act. And they fall down before him. Look, John records in chapter 22, verse 9, he's talking, this angel comes, and he falls down in front of the angel. The angel said, no, 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 get up. Worship God. You don't worship. Ain't none of that goes on up here. You only worship God. So when they fall down in front of the Lamb, he doesn't say, no, no, get up. God's on the, no, no. This is the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it speaks clearly of the deity of Jesus Christ. They fall down and say, worthy art thou, O Lord, to loose the seals, to open the scroll, for thou wast slain, it means you were violently killed. And then it says, and hast redeemed us to God out of every, by thy blood, central, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. What an interesting picture. Thou hast redeemed us. This is why you're worthy. You've redeemed, now the, 
The word there is not the normal word for redemption that's most used in the New Testament. It is the specific word that means to buy someone out of a slave market to set them free, specifically to set them free. And it says that we're worshiping him because he died a violent death. He was violently killed. That's passive in his voice. It means he allowed that to happen to him. He didn't do it. It came upon him and he yielded to it. He was violently killed to redeem, to buy us out of the slave market and set us free. The people that are singing that are you and I. Hath redeemed us. That word's not in your translation. You have modern translation. I'll pray that God heals you. But that word us should be there. We'll talk about that. By thy blood. Look. By thy blood. I like that. We're going to be in heaven. And when we're there, by his blood. There's no contribution you make to end up there. It isn't like 99.9% of the work that was necessary to get you to heaven. He did. And you did one-tenth of one percent. No, no, no. Everybody's glorifying him. Everybody's praising him. And look, it says that's happening from every kindred, which is race. Clan, tribe. It says every tongue, which is every language and every dialect. Are we all singing the same language in heaven? Or are we all singing our own languages in heaven, the same melody? I don't know. You know, I uh, years ago did a couple conferences at the castle in Austria. And uh, at the conference, you know, you learn to preach with interpreters. So you kind of give one idea at a time. And um, I would say what I wanted to say, then it would be translated into Serbo-Croatian, then into Bulgarian, then into Polish, and then it would come back to me. So I was only doing one-fourth of the preaching. So it was really interesting to go around the room and listen to what you said in all these different languages. But when we sang, they were all Calvary people, we all knew the same songs, we all knew the melodies, but it was being sung in all these different languages. It was incredible. It was incredible. I remember being at the garden tomb in Israel, and uh, there, there was the church, this church was singing, and all of a sudden these South Koreans chimed in. They knew the song singing with them, but in Korean. Africans started to sing, but in their jargon. Germans started to sing, but in their dialect. And, it, and we were listening to a familiar hymn, but all of these different dialects. Now, I don't know, is heaven like that, or do we all sing in Hebrew? Do, you know, either way is fine with me. But look what it says there. It's from every kindred, every tribe, every race. From every dialect, every tongue, from every human family, every nation is every ethnos, every ethnicity. I'm saying that to you because it's here. This is what we're waiting for. It's here. What we long for in this world is realized here. We have an innate hunger for it, but it's realized here. Look, the Bible says that husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Right, wives? No husband has ever done that, but it never lowers the standard. 
Wives are supposed to, to their husbands as unto the Lord. No wife has ever done that. But it doesn't lower the standard. And in here, as Christians, we know racism is wrong and prejudice is wrong. We know it's wrong for Muslims and Jews to be slaughtering each other. We know it's wrong to see image bearer kill image bearer around the world. We see the violence. We see the protests. We, we, and there's something in us that wants to see that fixed. It's innate and it's right. But the reality of it is here. This is what we're longing for. This is when it's right. Listen, and we hear people say, you know, talk about being colorblind. Now, I can appreciate that in one sense because you're trying to make a point about not being prejudiced. But heaven's not colorblind. Heaven, every, all the ethnicities are there, all of their colors, all of their races, all of their dialects. And there's multitudes around the, the lamb, and nobody's looking down on each other because of their ethnicity. Everybody's praising together. The family of God is gathered, and we're all bowing down before the lamb because he's worthy alone because he's going to open the seals on the scroll and he's going to do that because he was violently slain that he might redeem you and I by his blood. And heaven sings about the blood, it sings about forgiveness, sings about sin, it sings, you know, there's churches today that want to hear about that. There's nothing shy about the blood in heaven. It was the lamb that was slain that's in the midst of everything. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we get there, imagine, finally, finally, we'll see it. Finally, the family of God will be before our eyes. Nobody's going to be looking up. You're not even going to say, don't sit over there. Did you ever hear her, hear her sing? Because we'll all be singing the right way there. You know, nobody's going to say, ah, you know, they're, they're messed up. Don't, don't go over there. Or, you know. No, no. The overwhelming sense will be in regards to the blood of Jesus. And the only reason any of us will be there is solely for that reason. Nothing we contributed at all. And we'll look and see the family of God and all of its ethnicities gathered around and we'll be home. We'll be home. That's what we were made for. We'll be home. We'll be away from sinning human beings and we'll be home. And we'll see it the way God has always wanted it to be. Incredible picture. Who's singing this song? Those that are redeemed. Now look, this bothers me, but I'm going to bother you with it. Um, I love the fact that in heaven, if you take note of worship, all worship in heaven is thou-centered. Thou art worthy, for thou hast taken... You know, we sing a lot of songs on earth about I did this, I can only imagine, I can only do this, I can only see that, I can only... Me, 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 I feel this way. You know, just walk out of church, man, I feel good. We're saying, No, no, no. Real worship is thou-centered. It's about him. It's in the first person. I love those songs when we sing them. You know, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, you know. And the ones who are singing that song, it's you and I, us. Look, it says that here, thou hast redeemed us. I mean, what would it be like if we were singing in heaven saying, thou hast redeemed them? That wouldn't be any fun. We're all around the throne of Christ looking at each other saying, thou hast redeemed us. Now, if you have a modern translation... 
It may say them, it may say men. Some have even say, thou hast redeemed of every kindred, tongue, tribe. It doesn't even say anything. Some of the glosses in your column, and I'll talk about them, if you have a modern translation, or even sometimes in a King James, it says things like this. It says, the oldest manuscripts say men, whatever. That's a lie. Number two, it says the best manuscripts, if your Bible says that, put lie number two next to that. If the, if the gloss in your column says the most authoritative, that's lie number three. And if it says the original manuscripts, that's a big lie, number four, because ain't nobody ever seen an original manuscript. We don't have those. So, so look, all of that nonsense, understand, here's the truth. And I got no axe to grind. I don't have to fit into any denomination or seminary here. Here's the truth. The most important manuscripts that we have are the Greek manuscripts, because they're the oldest, the Koine, the classical. Those are the most important manuscripts. Book of Revelation, a little over 200 different fragments and some manuscripts to put it together. Basically, 95 major manuscripts, pieces of them. The Book of Revelation is the most pieced together book in the New Testament. God's genius, I believe. Here's the truth, because they're going to say to you, well, did you know? You see, because George Eldon Ladd, Gundry, all the post-tribulationists say, if they're singing here, thou hast redeemed us, it puts the church in heaven, and it makes us all pre-tribulationist. Amen. That's what I am. <clears throat> they say to you, well, did you know out of the 95 Greek manuscripts, only 23 of them say us out of the 95? But what they don't bother to tell you is out of, out of the 95 oldest Greek manuscripts, only 24 of those manuscripts have Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, and 23 of the 24 that exist, say us. Meantime, you get all that jargon in your column. Only Alexandrinus, and an in Ethiopic paraphrase, say them and men. Sinaiticus, which is older than Alexander, Alexandrinus, says us. Uh, Basilianus, with the, the Vaticanus only goes up to Hebrews 9, or I forget, 9.13 or something. The Basilianus, which is Vaticanus B, has us through it. The, the Armenian, the Coptic, the early Syriac, all say us. Jerome, in the 4th century, put together the Latin Vulgate, which was the Bible of the Catholic Church for over a thousand years. And Jerome went to Antioch, he went to Jerusalem and he went to Alexandria studying Greek manuscripts to put together the Latin Vulgate, the early Latin. And he says us all through here from the manuscripts he was exposed to. Translations. Look, the Peshitta, which is an early translation in Syriac, and then there are, there are reprints of it. I have one. It says, Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. For every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. But in verse 10, it does say, Thou hast made them, 
So as long as you establish us in verse 9, you need to know this because you're going to sing us. Don't get up there and sing them, please. You're going to sing us, and then verse 10 is just um, an editorial note on verse 9. The Geneva Bible, and I love the Geneva Bible. You can still get the Geneva Bible. When the pilgrims came here, they came with the Geneva Bible. George Washington's Bible was not a King James. It was a Geneva Bible. And what happened there in Geneva in, in the when the fall of Constantinople took place in 1453, Islam started to come into Constantinople and all the Christians fled. And all of these scholars left Constantinople and they came to Geneva. And in Geneva, Calvin was there, Knox was there, Coverdale was there, Tyndale had come from England. A group of scholars were there that I think outpace any scholarship we have today. And they brought with them from Constantinople Hebrew and Greek manuscripts that had never been in Geneva, that they had never seen. So between Erasmus, between all of the manuscripts they did have and all of these manuscripts that came from Constantinople, the Geneva Bible then put all of that together the Geneva Bible says thou art worthy uh, to take the book to open the seals thereof because thou wast killed and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue and nation and it says and thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests we shall reign Tyndale 1537 in his translation he said thou art worthy to take the book open the seals thereof for thou wast killed and hast redeemed us and made us unto our God, kings and priests, we shall reign. Young, if you have a Young's concordance, Young's literal in translation says, thou hast redeemed us and and uh, we, to make us kings and priests, we shall reign. Look, are you, all these guys don't know us, they're not as smart as the guy who wrote something stupid in the column of your Bible. Cut me a break. They say things like that to us. Joseph Zeiss puts some great notes in his commentary about the fact that they they say the ancient manuscripts, plural, all say them. That's nonsense. There's one. Their whole theology is built on one single manuscript, which is Alexandrinus. All of the rest of them say us. All of the early Latin versions say us. Hippolytus, Irenaeus, and Cyprian quoting these verses say us. When they were before those manuscripts. Andrew of Caesarea, this is just for the, you, some of you can go to sleep, this is for the tape, because some people need to hear this. Andrew of Caesarea Cappadocia, a bishop of the church there, early 6th century, he put together one of the earliest Greek commentaries on Revelation. He says us throughout, and some warn about his commentary because he used different fragments, you know, different manuscript resources. Osaminius, the earliest extant Greek commentary on Revelation, early 6th century, he writes us throughout. Victrinus, who died in 304, before Sinaiticus, before Alexandrinus, Victrinus dies in 304, Revelation 5.9, he wrote, these are Christian people singing of their salvation. Getting my point? Don't let anybody treat you like a country bumpkin and tell you, oh, no, well, they're the early manuscripts, the best manuscripts, the most authoritative manuscripts, the original. That's bunk. B-U-N-K. Bunk. Because what this song says 
is that we're going to sing a new song that's never been sung before, ever. And the one we're singing it to is worthy to open the seals because he was willingly, violently killed so that he could purchase us out of the slave market of sin by his blood. And he can't wait to have his kids home sitting at his table from every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every race. That's what we're waiting for, and that's what we're going to see. Amen? I like that. I like that. We're headed there. In verse 10, now there's a little more controversy in verse 10 over manuscript evidence. Um, That's fine, because even... A manuscript that says them is talking about verse 9. But it says in verse 10, And has made us, King James, unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Look, to me, you can argue manuscripts there, but to me, the whole thing is settled in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Unto him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God his Father. To him be glory, dominion, forever and ever. Just the fact, chapter 1 says that, which is probably the postscript. It was written at the very end. That means right before he wrote that, he wrote, you know, if any man changes, detracts, takes a single word, from the book of this prophecy and the prophecy of this book, then he's not going to inherit anything. Any man adds to these words, God's going to add the plagues that are here. And then why would he write us, John himself, if it was different than that? So to me, chapter 1 seals the deal, because there it says, Thou hast redeemed us, thou hast washed us in thy blood. It reaffirms everything we have here in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. It puts the church in heaven before all of this begins. And and look, it, sa- it says this, And I beheld, and I heard, now Revelation, okay? The book of Revelation, um, 44 times is going to say, I beheld. John's going to tell us, I saw something. This, I, you can't believe it. this is what I saw. 27 times it's going to say, I heard this. Here's a combination of both. I beheld and I heard. I saw this and I heard this, he says. It was the voice of many angels round about, which means encircling all the way around the throne, and the cherubim, the living ones, and the elders, the 24 elders, and the number of them, the Greek is myriads times myriads, which is kind of the largest number the Greeks use. It means like tens of thousands times tens of thousands, and then thousands times thousands. You and I would say there were millions of them there. There were millions of them all around the throne. You, you can imagine the scene that we have here. And it says, And the saying with a loud voice, Worthy was the Lamb that was slain. Now, they can't sing, Who hath redeemed us? Because angels can't sing that. There's no redeemer for angels. Cherubim can't sing that, but they can praise him for what he's done and the fact that he's worthy. Imagine this many voices. You know, I love to sneak in here 
when Kathy has the, the women's conference and listen to 1,500, 1,800 ladies in here singing their heads off. It's so beautiful without those men's voices messing everything up. <laughs> but I love it when the, the singing is louder than the stage, the guitars, which are heavenly. We go to Sandy Cove, you hear 2,000 men singing at the top of their lungs without women messing it all up. It's just amazing to hear that. Whenever the worshipers are more dominant than the leaders, sadly in too many churches today it's the entertainment that's up there with all the stuff that goes on. It's not worship. Imagine this. As far as you can see in every direction, millions, plural, of worshipers. Thou art worthy, worshiping. And they fall down. What's it like when millions upon millions, now that would be the redeemed, not the angels, they fall down and they cast their crowns. You have to imagine these golden crowns glistening, all of the light that's blazing up there, these crowns coming in from a circle all around, from like the pouring rain, who could count them, coming in and dropping on the sea of glass around the throne. What a spectacle. You think fireworks on New Year's Eve is good? You ain't seen nothing yet. That's all fake stuff. This is the real deal. This is fireworks right here. And it says it's loud. You know why it's loud? Home field advantage. You think the Chiefs can do that? You ain't heard nothing yet. Here. Everybody's longed to be here. Everybody is here. Everybody's looking at the Lamb. The family is gathered. We're home. And it's loud. But it's sweet loud. It's good loud. It's soothing loud. It's peaceful loud. It's wonderful loud. Saying with a loud voice, he says, he says, Thou art worthy, or worthy is the Lamb, that was slain to receive power, dunamis, Jesus, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, to receive riches. It tells us that he became poor, that we might be rich, but all the wealth of heaven and eternity now is his. Wisdom, Paul tells us that the cross, that Jesus is the wisdom of God and salvation. Now it's all obvious. Strength, of course, who has more? He's all powerful. And honor and glory, which is the glistening of light, the Shekinah, the shooting out, you know, all of that now is ascribed to him and blessing. Then, look what it says. It says, every creature which is in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and everything alive in the sea. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 8, you read verses 22, 23 around there, that the creation itself is groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, because the creation itself was subject to vanity. And the, and the phrase he uses there, in earnest expectation, means without stretched head. You're looking for something to come around the corner. You're waiting for it. He says the creation itself is anticipating, waiting, because creation itself was subject to vanity when Adam fell. It says here that every, everything in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, everything in the sea, porpoises, what's that going to be like? All of creation, it says, is going to praise him. And they're going to say... 
blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne, notice, and unto the Lamb. It's the throne of God and of the Lamb, all of the praise. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that God has given him the name, which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things on the earth, things under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's interesting, Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John's gospel, he said this, these words spake Jesus, and he lifted his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And that's where we see Christ back there. In fact, in verse 24 in John 17, it says this. It says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. It's a very interesting text because Jesus, when you follow him through the Gospels, he said, look, I don't say anything unless my Father says it. I don't do anything unless my Father does it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he says. I and the Father are one. The, he says, I've, I've come, my meat is to do my Father's will. The only time he says to the Father, I will, this is what I want, is here. And when he says, Father, I will, I will, that those which you have given me be with me where I am. They might behold my glory. Dad. I want the family home. Dad. I want them all home. Free from this world. Washed in the blood. No more fallen nature. Corruption putting on incorruption. Mortal putting on immortality. Secure. And praising the Lamb for what he's done. Willingly being slaughtered. To purchase out, us out of the slave market of sin. Purchase us, not purchase them. Imagine we were standing around his throne singing, and thou hast redeemed them. Everybody's looking around. What do you mean, them? Who's that? No, we're all going to be looking at each other and saying, you have redeemed us. Imagine looking at each other there. Us, you've redeemed us. With thy blood. I was reading... Uh, this morning in a devotional, C.S. Lewis. And he said, you know, there are those seasons in our lives, um, in our growth, uh, where something will go on and we'll think, Lord, that needs to change in my life. I'm, that's not Christ-like. And, you know, through crisis or one other thing, he'll bring us into the light. 
And, and then we go to him, and it's only through his word, his spirit, you know, um, his light that we see that. But then what happens, C.S. Lewis says, and then we beg, because we realize in our growth as we move on, I have no ability to make any of this happen. Lord, I know this needs a change in my life. I can't do it on my own. I can't affect any of this change in my life. You've brought it into the light. I see it. I know as that becomes part of me, I'll be more Christ-like. I'll be more like you. But I got nothing. I got nothing. That'll be our favorite song there. I got nothing. No. You were violently slain to buy us out of the slave market of sin, to buy us with thy blood. That's how it's happened. It's the only way it happens. Can't add to that. You can't top it. You can't contribute. His blood out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. Ain't that going to be something? You know, you know when this is going to happen? Soon. Can you say that? Soon. Very good. So everybody learned one word this morning. That's good. Soon. It's going to happen soon, you know. And then what happens as we feel that, because the world is kind of disintegrating, we kind of feel, all right, Lord, regardless of what my wife, my brother and sister, my parents, my kids, I, I need to, Lord, fix some things in my heart. I need to walk closer with you. I need a greater sense of your presence. I need to take the things in Scripture and make them real in my life, regardless of what happens around me. And we need to do all of that because he's coming He, he is. He's coming soon. If Paul could say, now is our salvation closer than we first believed 2,000 years ago, nobody can say it like we say it. All the chess players are on the board. Everything's ready to go. We're waiting for a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, because verse 9 says us. Not a bunch of stupid stuff that, quote-unquote, scholars try to foist on us because they think we're country bumpkins. And for us to sing us, we have to be standing in heaven between the rapture and the opening of the seals. And that's where we are this week in chapter 5. If the Lord tarries, read ahead into chapter 6. We start to come down to the things that are going to begin to come on the world that we're looking at. We're seeing kind of dribs and drabs of them, but this is where they come to their full. Okay? So read ahead, become familiar with it, because Jesus is coming Second service never got it. You guys are way ahead. Just because you're more awake. You've already had coffee and breakfast. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for these things, Lord. And we believe you want us to live in earnest expectation, Lord, of your return. The hastening, the coming of the day of the Lord, Lord, that we would look forward to that. And Lord, as things around us kind of get more sour and more fragile and just obviously more temporary, Lord, we all of a sudden we're leaving go of things that we held on to, things we thought we needed, things that we thought would fulfill. Lord, and we're realizing that the longing of our hearts and our being is after the things you've set before us.
We ask your forgiveness, Lord, for being distracted, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would draw our hearts, Lord. We can see it. We know it needs to happen. But again, Lord, you're the only one. All the glory and all the praise is yours. Lord, as your word says, draw us and we will run after thee. We trust you to do that, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.